As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back to the 11 Personnel Podcast, your favorite Rams podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Rodriguez, and with me, as always, my fabulous co-host, Rich Hammond. Rich, how we doing? Doing well, Jordan. I got to see you on Sunday. I know. That was so great. The Wasn't man, that amazing? The, man, the legend, Rich Hammond in SoFi. I left my cave and uh, actually went to the game on Sunday, the first time that you and I had made eye contact since the Combine. Uh, which I think was about four and a half years ago, if my if my math is correct. Uh, but uh, it was it was an amazing uh, experience to see SoFi Stadium. I'm not going to say it was amazing to watch the Rams and the Giants. Uh, that that's not quite the word I would use. But uh, it was an interesting game, wasn't it, Jordan? Yeah, it was. Obviously, uh, if you guys are listening to this, you know that the Rams squeaked one by the Giants, 17 to nine. The 0-4 football giants, by the way. <laughs> so the, the Rams are 3-1. and one. Um, Before we get to the football part, Rich, I want to know what your impressions were of SoFi because I remember when I walked in, and I, and I know you'd seen it through the construction process, but I remember when I walked in and saw the real thing, um, I just, you know, it, it kind of takes your breath away for a second. It does, yeah. And, and even driving by, I had not been to the site since since January. And at that point, it was, I think they said it was about 75% done. So you got a pretty good sense of, of what it was going to be. But uh, just driving in, you know, off of uh, Manchester there and making the turn, it was like, wow, it's it's really here. Uh, and, and it's actually done. And it was really something to behold. I mean, I, you know, growing up in Southern California, I went to you know, horse racing at Hollywood Park there. So very familiar with the site and, and uh, you know, going to games at the Forum and everything else. And to, to see that NFL stadium sitting there, uh, it really was kind of a shock, even though we've had four years to prepare for it. Uh, a beautiful place. Look, I, it's, I, I really cannot wait for fans to, to get in there. I, I think they are really, really going to enjoy that stadium. Uh, I walked around. Uh, the, the concourses are great. The seating angles are great. Um, it's, it's a very, very cool experience to be there. That, that video board is what I had not prepared myself for when I was there in January, Mm -hmm. it was still sitting on the, on the floor. They hadn't even raised it yet. And when I walked in there, I was just like, my goodness, this is really, uh, something. And I'll say, Jordan, I, I, I was pleasantly surprised that I did not keep my eyes on the video board. I was afraid that, you know, it would be so distracting or so big that you would just, that your eyes would be drawn to the video board instead of the field. It didn't feel that way. Um, So I I really enjoyed, you know, everything that was on the board, the great experience, but uh, I I just can't wait for fans to get in there. And and I know we want to do it safely and, uh, you know, do it in its own time. I know fans are getting frustrated and getting really eager and anxious to get back in there. And uh, I'll tell you what, I'll I'll celebrate with all of you uh, the day that that you are allowed back in. Yeah, you know, I feel kind of bad because I'm like, oh, it's so cool, but... Obviously, you know, we're the only ones who can enjoy it right now and the players and unlimited staff and everything like that. So I do feel bad about that. I really, really want fans to be able to see this. But obviously, uh, as a society, we have to get our crap together a little bit and, um, you know, have some restrictions lifted concurrently. So I think that that's going to be a great day for Rams fans when it comes. Um, I liked what you said about not watching the video board too much. 
One detail I thought you would love was how they had all of the games on, the early games on, uh, around the ring of the Oculus. Yeah. And you just get the sense that the people who are running the show are like a kid in a candy store getting to put stuff up on that board. Well, that's – and, you know, talking to a Rams official yesterday who was saying that, that that's part of the plan. You know, the Rams probably be playing a lot of 1 p.m. games, you know, when, when fans are allowed back in. And uh, they'll open it up so that, you know, people can come in, sit in their seats, and it's basically like sitting at a sports bar or, a, you know, a sports book in Vegas, whatever it might be, where you can just kind of sit there and uh, have a beverage or, or have some lunch or whatever and, and just sit there and take in every game on, on this giant TV. So I think that that's really going to be an amazing experience. I know people like to tailgate in the in the parking lot and, and things like that. And I know that I'm sure that'll continue. But uh, what, what a fantastic experience that will be where you can just come in at, you know, 11 o'clock, 10 o'clock. I don't know when they'll open the doors, but you can just come in and just kind of feast on, on all of those early NFL games. I, I think that's really cool. Yeah, and the good news is you missed this one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, my. Oh. Where do we even start? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, Jordan, I think we should start with the way you wrote it um, today in, in, in or, uh, excuse me, on Sunday night in, in your column, the, the Pile on The Athletic, the website, the app. Uh, very, very well done. And I, I thought you said it very well was that it felt, from the Rams' perspective, a win over the Giants almost felt worse than a loss to the Buffalo Bills. So maybe I'll let you explain what you meant by that. But I, I, I thought that was very well said. Yeah, just between some of the mistakes and miscues that were very uncharacteristic, I think, of what we've seen from the Rams so far. Play calling that was at times repetitive and I think overly simplistic. And, you know, I've gotten some questions on Twitter today about what, what was it overly simplistic by design? You know, there was a, a situation where Back-to-back screenplays were called after, you know, they kept getting blown up, but they kept getting called. And there were questionable calls to run on certain situations, you know, with the two-minute warning approaching, where the clock was going to stop anyway, where you should probably go for the sticks on a passing play so that you can continue to control the clock uh, even after the the natural timeout of the two-minute warning there at the end of the game, you know, with, with the lead you have the lead, but you still are like, yeah. does it really feel like a lead at this point? Because, you you know, you've gone, you know, I, I want to say, yeah, five for 13 on third down. Yeah. You had a great first drive, but then 85 yards on your next eight. So or your next six. <laughs> and it, it just was rough. It, it was offensively. It was it was really rough. And And so for me, I thought that this felt worse because they lost in, in such a way two weeks ago where you could really, if you're a player or you're a coach or a fan, you could be really proud of what they accomplished. And I know that a win is a win. I know that there are no style points in this league, as Sean McVay very well put it. But I think that you have to take something just as important away from a win such as this as you would from a loss in terms of correcting things and making sure that teams don't have a blueprint on you. Um, You know, there was some concern there about what, what specifically was not happening and not working as it pertained to the run game, lack of vertical opportunities, even the misdirection stuff. Some of that was not working part in part because of the, the run game, not working. You don't want to have a team basically set up a blueprint on you as in how to beat you. I know I talk about this a lot. I talk about the, you know, my former experience the last four years with the Panthers, but that 2015 Broncos game was the blueprint in the Super Bowl was the blueprint of how to stop Cam Newton and the Carolina Panthers. And teams started doing that over and over and over and over again. Now, Bill Belichick attempted to set up a blueprint against Sean McVay, which worked a lot of times in 2019. And that's go six, one against what he's trying to do on offense. Well, they our our guy Ted Ted Wynn, um, he has a great piece out at theathletic.com that explains why the Rams are no longer weak prey to the six one. So technically you don't have a blueprint against you yet. Right. But you could if you keep winning or losing games in this fashion where um teams that are expected to really not have a good season are able to to key in on you um, and force mistakes and then self-inflicted wounds and things like that. So I know that's a that's a ramble there, Rich, but 
lots of thoughts for me um, that kind of permeating through my brain as I kind of was watching that take place yesterday. No, that, it, it gave me time to reach for my, my notes here because I, I, I wanted to look at um, kind of that Rams first drive. And and I agree, Jordan, I, it, it, watching it, it, it felt to me like a 2019 Rams game where it just like, I, you know, having watched the first uh, you know, a couple games of 2020, the first three games, it was like, this looks like a different offense. It looks like a, an offense that's evolved. It, it, you know, it looks much more efficient, sharp than 2019. And it almost felt like a little bit of a regression uh, on, on this Sunday. So I, I was fascinated because they came out, I, I think the Rams came out primarily in 12 personnel. I'm, I'm looking at it right, right, right now. I think they only ran, not until they kind of got down to goal to go uh, distance, did they really go back to 11, I think. So, so they moved the ball really well uh, in, in 12 early on. And then, I don't know, I stopped keeping track, but it, it just seemed like the stuff that they were doing early on was was working really well. And then it, things just kind of got untracked a little bit and, and they got really out of sync. And, and I really think it starts with the run game. Um, because you look at it, they average 2.5 yards per carry. That's just not, I mean, you, to, to win that game when you average 2.5 yards per carry is, is practically a miracle. And, uh, you know, I know people are getting on Sean McVay about, oh, Daryl Henderson, how come, you know, they're playing Daryl more. I, Jordan, I know you have some, some thoughts on that. I don't want to step on you. Uh, you know, Daryl. <laughs> you never step on okay, me, but, but, I, I sometimes ramble too long, <laughs> but you, you just go for well, it, I, man. I, I don't want to take your, like, you, you have a, a very uh, specific and, and good thought about the way those those running backs were used on, on Sunday. But I, I would just like to make the point that, uh, I, I think Daryl Henderson has doing, been doing very well. Daryl Henderson had eight carries for 22 yards. So let's not quite get to the point where we're saying, well, Sean McVay was just handcuffing a guy who was, you know, just just uh, you know, picking up chunks of yards every time he carried the ball. You know, Daryl wasn't Daryl wasn't moving the moving the chains either. Um, so it, it looked a lot more like one of those 2019 games where they just weren't able to move the ball and on the ground, and and because of that. It, uh, it took away some of those things that, that Jared wasn't able to do. So what did you think, Jordan? Because I thought you had a really good insight about, you know, my, maybe why Malcolm Brown uh, got a pretty good percentage of, of the snaps when it looked like Daryl Henderson had been kind of taking charge a little bit. Yeah, there are a couple tells here. One, the Giants started racking up their pressure and I don't want to call it exotic because I don't really think anything that, they, that no. the Giants do is, <laughs> can be qualified as such um as you can see I'm I'm back to being my normal salty self so um you know welcome back I was trying to be nice a couple weeks ago but man <laughs> whoo yeah um you know I, there's a couple of tells one the the Giants started dialing up the pressure a little bit more okay so in that case it's not like Daryl Henderson is a bad pass protector He's a good pass protector. However, Malcolm Brown is a bigger body. He's more physical just by his, his you know, this, they're dif- different styles of player. And he's extremely strong. He can, you know, put a body on somebody, maybe a little bit. Daryl Henderson is, is a little bit smaller in stature than, than Malcolm Brown. You know, there's a lot of really really good communication, especially in pass pro, especially in setting up some of the misdirection things that they were just trying to do with Malcolm Brown, that Jared Goff and Malcolm Brown have really gotten down to a T. And if you go to some of the um, timestamps, I think I tweeted out a couple of times when Malcolm Brown first came in, it was, it, it seemed to be a necessity because of the way he was picking up some of these free blitzers that were just coming up through the gaps. So that I think was notable. However, the other tell though, and, and Sean McVay confirmed this after the game, the, the day after, after he had a chance to break, re-break down the film and see what really went wrong. I asked him, why did you switch to Malcolm Brown and ultimately give him more touches? Essentially, as we all know, Daryl Henderson was like the hot hand. So how do you, why do you turn away from the hot hand and go to Malcolm Brown in that, in that scenario? Well, he mentioned that First of all, Daryl Henderson took a heck of a shot by a Giants defensive lineman and actually did have to leave the game as they got checked out. Now, the rule is, is that we are supposed to get a report by the next series if a player is is unable to. Well, (laughs) don't get excited. We're supposed to get a a report by the 
end of the next se- or by the start of the next offensive series if the player is unable to return to the game. But they checked him out really quickly and deemed that he would be able to return. So really, there was no injury involved, but more so give him a second to catch his breath. And it sounded like he got the wind knocked out of him. I'm I'm speculating because we don't usually get anything really official from these guys, but I'm sort of speculating. He probably got the wind uh, smoked out of him at that point with that, you know, (laughs) the defensive lineman was just like laying on him. So that's a lot of weight. So, um, Hmm. you know, the other thing was Sean McVay mentioned that it was a really, the Giants were just just out being more physical than they were up front. So they needed someone who is um, a more physical style of north to south running back, you know, a one-cut downhill guy such as Malcolm Brown to to combat that because they felt as an offense and decision makers within that offense that they were not going to be able to do some of the shiftier um, two and three cuts, maybe working, especially, you know, maybe working guys in the flat and on those little screens that kept getting blown up, you know, things like that. And there's actually a stat that shows how much more physical this game got as it continued and how the Rams had to counter it because according to sport radar, radar, so they played only 22.8% of 12 personnel of their offensive snaps which is what you saw at the beginning of the game. They played 58% 11 personnel, which is what you saw throughout most of the game as they were really trying to get something going offensively. And this is a new one for them. Well, not totally new, but it's pretty, this this high of a number, mm-hmm. 19% of 13 personnel, which is all three tight ends. And you don't usually see Johnny yeah. Munt on the field with with um, Gerald Everett, with um, Tyler Higby. Right. And the reason why is because they were getting bullied up front. And you needed you needed that extra in-line help. That's fascinating. I did not. I, I'm hearing that for the first time, and that's an extraordinarily high number. I mean, I'd have to go back and look, but I, I can't. I can't remember a game where it was even close to that un, under under McVay. Uh, because like you said, when, you know, Johnny Munt got, got – uh, quite a bit of run last year, but it was usually in tandem with Tyler Higby and just the two of them. You very rarely saw, my memory anyway of it is, you very rarely saw Munt and, and Everett on the field together, and you almost never saw the three of them on the field together. Right. Uh, so so to see that, uh, that's 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 eye-opening. Yeah. Uh, that, that's very, very interesting you, um, to, to see that. Are you ready to have your mind blown even further? I'm, I'm holding on to the table. I'm ready. Okay, so... Yeah. The that league high of average 13 personnel through an offensive, you know, your offensive snap count in the mm-hmm. league, the average high point is 13.7 percent. Yeah, so they were in it a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, certainly much, much more. So let me find the Rams. I'm scrolling down here, yeah, on average, and and Get, you know, of course, this last game has spiked their average to be up higher. So consider this because it was way lower than this even coming into this game. After four weeks of play, the times that they were in 13 personnel throughout the entire season is 5.7%. Yeah. So to yeah. be in it almost 20% of the time on offense, you are getting thrown around up front and you need that inline help. Yeah. Well, you know what? And and credit credit the Rams for that because I you know I was a critic last year uh, at times of of them not adjusting enough and not doing those in-game adjustments maybe when things weren't going well and uh, you know there's a clear indication that they that they were trying (laughs) they were doing a lot of different things to uh, to try to get that ball moving so I, I credit them for that the one that that also strikes me is that uh, that final touchdown drive where they came out? Uh, I don't want to take the time to, to go through my notes here, but what was there? It was about uh, nine minutes, eight minutes left on the clock, I think, in the in the fourth quarter, and and uh, that's that's kind of a situation where you, it would dictate, okay, you want to try to bleed the clock as much as you can here. You want to just you know, even if you don't score, take it down as far as you can. 
And what did the Rams do? They came out uh, with tempo. Uh, you know, they were they were backed up pretty far, and and they were they were pushing it. They were not uh, sitting back and and bleeding the play clock or anything like that. And I remember seeing it, Jordan, and I think I even sent you a message when it started. Like, oh man, they're they're kind of desperate here because you know they're just they're trying anything uh, to to get the to get some momentum. And then sure enough, what happens? Uh, about four or five plays into the drive, they they do get that tempo. Uh, maybe the Giants don't have time to communicate or have a miscommunication or whatever. Cooper Cup makes one cut, and 55 yards later, he's in the end zone. So, mm-hmm. not saying that that you know that A led to B, but uh, an example to me where it, you could see where the Rams were were trying during the game. It wasn't just pounding your head into the right. wall doing this exact same thing for 60 minutes. Uh, they, they were trying, and and eventually. You know they got to, they got enough points. They didn't need many against the Giants, so so they got they got enough. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I liked how you noticed that because that's usually, as you very astutely said, that's not usually a period where you'd go tempo. That was a good decision and an intentional one. There are a couple other ones, questionable questionable mistakes that I I think at the end of the day, they're getting these things out of their system. I think that I know that we're spending a lot of time criticizing a win. I want people to understand it's not that we're criticizing the fact that they won. It's just that you can't win against the mean. And when I say mean, I mean average. The average team in the NFL, you cannot win football games like that. So because right. not only are they going to be at least at the mean through the rest of the season, but also well above the mean in terms of of this slate of games coming through in the NFC West where the margin of error is so simple. These are the things, and it's not just us critiquing too. I mean, these, these are the things, and Sean McVay was really good on this um, when he spoke to media the day after the game, was – you, you have to take a lot from this and you have to correct these types of, of what they think are fixable mistakes. And that's a good segue because the defense has corrected some of their fixable mistakes, Rich. Yeah, look, you, you can't fault. Uh, I, I know people on social media always, you know, maybe get upset or, or look at some of the, the negatives that, that were going on there. But that the Rams defense, they didn't allow a touchdown, first of all. I don't I don't care who you play. When you go through an NFL game and you don't allow a touchdown, uh, that's a success. You can, you can put a check mark next to that one and say, you did your job when the other team does not get in the end zone. Um, but yeah, I, I was impressed. You, and again, you have Micah Kaiser go down during the game, which is something that I, I think pr- people probably didn't talk uh, enough about, uh, just what he means, how well he's played. Uh, this season and and the type of you know communication that, that we know he brings on the field so so to have to deal with his loss uh, during the game and, and adjust to that uh, they they handled that well they they got good pressure on Daniel Jones who did not look good oh my goodness um, <laughs> who is I, that I, man I don't know that man who is that <clears throat> man? Jordan <laughs> co- co- cover your ears for one minute. Uh, I, I drafted J- Daniel Jones in my in two of my fantasy leagues because I was I read enough to where I was convinced that Daniel Jones was was ready to take this big step forward in 2020, and I'm just watching this guy going, "Oh my goodness!" Like I mean, it was almost like he was waiting to be sacked sometimes. Like he was just kind of looking around, going, "Hey, where are you guys? I'm here. When, when are you going to hit me?" Like I just I didn't know what he was doing sometimes. But anyway, beside the point. 
uh, I, I thought it was, uh, you know, you're always going to have some moments and uh, some some difficulties, some plays you would want back, but the Rams kept them out of the end zone and they made the plays in the fourth quarter when they needed to make them. And that's that's all you can ask for. These things that you were reading about Daniel Jones, Ugh. did Daniel Jones write them? Uh, yeah, I think it was. Uh, I should have checked the author name. It was probably Jones. Yeah, uh, because look, I mean, I know they, they, they look. They've had some problems there. You know, when you don't have your running back, your your all world running back, I'm sure it doesn't it doesn't help. But just some of the things that he was doing, I'm like, what are you doing back there? Like, you know, you know, you're facing Aaron Donald, right? Like, you know, you're you know, you're facing like a really good defense, and he just he did not help himself out there. Yeah, I. I mean, there was a couple of times where I feared for his general well-being, I thought. Right. I thought, why are you running directly into the arms of the man who's trying to sack you, Daniel? <laughs> oh, Daniel. Yes. Um, yeah, you know, coming from the Carolinas, a lot of people obviously were very high on that guy. So maybe you were reading their bylines as well, obviously, yeah, from his alma mater. But I don't buy it. I don't think that he makes sound decisions at all. I also don't think that the the Giants play calling and design was good, or maybe it was their execution because, well, first of all, this, this team, I'd have to go back and look, but I think they've only scored three touchdowns all season. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I'd have to go back and double check, but I believe I saw that stat. And then it was almost like they were afraid to score. Like there was a one point where they punted. I, I'd have to, I, I tweeted about this too, and I'm sorry, I don't have my notes right in front of me, which I, I should, but they're across the house and I'm lazy. Um, so, but there was one point where I was like, you guys aren't going to go for it here. You're, you're knocking on the door. I mean, I know the Rams defense is putting up a fight, but you guys right. are, you guys really aren't going to go for it here. Was and- it the, I, I have my, sorry to interrupt, but just, I, I think it, it was fourth and four at midfield. Oh um, yes. Yes. This was it. I, yeah. I had the same thought. Like this is this is as close as you're going to get. Like you might as well take your shot right now. And uh, of course, they they punted, and that was the very series we were just talking about, where uh, the Rams go tempo and score the touchdown. So yeah, I, I had the same thought, Jordan. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. I'm so like yeah. Rich Hammond is Captain Clutch, guys. I'm telling you what he waltzed <laughs> into SoFi like he owned the place. He said. Tan suit, Mr. Kroenke, I'm Rich Hammond, you know, yes, like, he, yeah. but thank you for that. Cause that's exactly what I was talking about. I don't want to dwell too much on the giants. I thought that even if in this game, because, because I don't think I don't, the, the giants obviously are missing their player that I think a couple of analysts around the league put it like this. If you're missing a guy like Saquon Barkley, who is left to fear? Well, I still think that there are ways you can, you can scheme to combat pressure. Luckily for the Rams, they really dialed it up, especially in the first half this week yeah. with the pressure. I feel like, and I've made this joke so many times, this is the last time I'm going to make this joke. Brandon Staley read all of your tweets. <laughs> he gets it. He <laughs> says, right. "He says I am not answering one more question about first half pressure because they were smoking the Giants offensive line. Guys who had been quiet so far to this point, like Samson Ebukam, and Oboe, you know, guys who have really been just sort of filling in in rotation, they were making a lot of noise. Morgan Fox continued a really, really strong last couple of games. Um, you know, the other interesting thing is they rotated a lot more this game. I, I went back and I looked at the snap counts. All of these guys from the inside out, they rotated a lot more. They moved these, bo- these guys around uh, along the offensive line because it's a new body in front of an offensive lineman. And an offensive lineman can't key in on technique and and repetition um, and traits of an opposing defensive lineman when you're shuffling him up and down the line and you, you can't get used to anybody. So that was really important. Um, more blitzing than I think we've seen normally. We saw Jalen Ramsey got sent in on a blitz. And I say he should have gotten the credit for the sack or at least half credit. I know Oboe yeah. was credited for it. And I think Oboe should have gotten half credit as well. But that think about this. You have a guy like Jalen Ramsey, and of all the coordinators in the past, you've not sent him enough times on blitz packages to actually have him record a single sack in his illustrious career to this point. That would have been his first one. And in my heart, it still is his first one. <laughs> so, right. But it was just so interesting the way that they were dialing up that pressure. I thought it was, I thought it was well done. I thought it was a well-called game in that regard um, from Staley and defensive line coach Eric Henderson, I thought that they 
are finally starting to see as guys are settling into what their potential will probably be throughout the, the at least this first stretch of the season, they really are seeing, okay, if we throw more at at this group, can they step into it and thrive? And I think they really did a great job. Yeah. Red Dot, old Red Dot, Darius Williams, right? Uh, what a what a step up. I mean, this is a guy who's, uh, you know, once it can happen once. When it starts to happen a couple times, it's a trend. And this this guy can make uh, big plays and, uh, you know, steps in there. And, wow, I mean, that wasn't just a, a you know, step in front of a, a route interception. I mean, he really made a really, really acrobatic and, and, and good play on that ball. So, uh, yeah, you know, Jordan, I don't, I don't, I really don't get it. I'm usually, I'm usually kind of in, in line or in step with, with Rams fans. I, I see some complaints about the defense and, and what was going on there. And I'm like, well, I don't know what you, I don't know what the expectation was here. Like, I'm I mean, not here I know for the, it. I'm not here for that. I'm serious. <laughs> like, and, and this is with all due respect, but to me, this was, it's not they okay they weren't playing a great opponent sure but in terms right. of people being where they needed to be including without Jordan Fuller who again people need to understand how big of a loss that is in terms of what Brandon Staley likes to do with his safeties and their responsibilities of getting everybody else on the field in the place they need to be the, they there were not a lot of mistakes. There were not a lot of, of genuine errors or miscommunications. There was a couple of times you want to make sure the tight ends contained across the middle. But other than that, you know, they, they had allowed six explosive plays against Buffalo. A lot of that came from missed tackles, right? And, and especially in the running game, well, they completely shut down the giants running game and only allowed two explosive plays throughout the game. And those two came because they were fatigued as crap from being on the field for 33 minutes and 17 seconds. Cause the offense couldn't string together a drive that lasted longer than 15 seconds sometimes. Right. So no, I'm, I'm not really here for it. Uh, but I think that there's, you know, obviously room to improve, but in terms of everywhere being, everyone being where they needed to be uh, a complimentary play from the group, because you had the Russian coverage complementing each other. You had pressure up front early and from a variety of different places. It wasn't just Aaron Donald, time to go put some pressure on some guys. Aaron Donald, yeah. take the game over, which is very fun to watch. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't It wasn't just that. It was a variety of, of different guys getting their hands on the quarterback, getting their arms and faces, um, wrapping up. Sebastian Joseph Day was really good in run support, I thought, throughout most of the game. You know, people being more gap accountable, you know, you 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 obviously hate to see Micah Kaiser and Kenny Young get dinged up a little bit. Micah Kaiser's got a strained groin and a strained pec. He's day-to-day. Kenny Young had a little knee flare-up. He's day-to-day, but, you know, the outlook's, outlook's promising there. You, you know, it's just and, – and you, and you saw different things. You saw Jalen Ramsey finally moving into the slot where, again, he can be used as a blitzer and is very, very – calculated and is and physical in that regard he can also help contain in the flat and you saw it <laughs> with that massive hit. oh my gosh that the beautiful clean hit on on golden tate and and then also you know you have guys on the outside troy hill just slotted back out to the outside did fine um you know i know that he's struggled a little bit in containment a couple of times but then you have darius williams on the other side who's who now, like you said, is is a red dot guy. Yeah, and I think we knew the potential for that was there. Uh, I think we knew that the pieces were there, but you don't know until you see it on the field. And they've done a good job with that. I mean, the decision they've they've had to make some tough decisions at cornerback uh, over over the last couple of years, and uh, they've they've made some that have made you wonder. I mean, even the trade for Jalen Ramsey, ooh, was that worth it? Or you know, trading Marcus Peters, oh, was that worth it? You know, do you really want to commit to Troy Hill? Do you really trust Darius Williams? And I, I think they've navigated all. All that very well uh, to to give themselves kind of this little group uh, that that fits and it fits what what Brandon Staley is is trying to accomplish out there. So I, I thought uh, a good job. Certainly, you know, bigger, better tests are going to come. But yeah, that that Jalen Ramsey tackle. I mean, it ends up getting you know. Uh, <laughs> 
it ends up getting diminished or, or ignored a little bit because of what happened after the game. Right. But uh, that was a big, big play. And I, I know we, we even were talking about it or messaging about it during the time because we couldn't really talk to each other. But uh, messaging about, you know, like, wow, that's, you know, if, the, if they win this game, that's a, that's a big momentum turn. Uh, right there for for them to to make that, but you know, Jordan, let's. I know you got some insight on this, and I know a lot of Rams fans are, are interested. I, I don't think we need to go into you know Jalen Ramsey and and Golden Tate and this. Right. You know, we don't we don't need to make this the the TMZ podcast. Thank uh, God. As as you said very well <laughs> in your in your column, uh, you know, go to Google if you, if you want the details on that. But um, it, it sounded like Sean McVay had some interesting. Uh, or maybe insightful reaction to that, just sort of like how how do they deal with it? And um, you know, I know I know fans were even worried about like, oh, is there going to be a suspension or anything like that? But but it sounds like the Rams had a pretty good handle on it um, internally, right? Yeah, you know, um, I think that it was really telling because a, a Rams staffer came out and just spent some time with Jalen Ramsey down on the field after the game ended. You know, he kind of paced back and forth quite a, for quite a long time, about 20 minutes, which yeah. I only know because my recorder was going because <laughs> we were doing Zoom press conferences during the entire time. And I know uh, I, th- I basically threw my binoculars at you to try to see what was, yeah. what was going on down there. So thank- I was keeping track I was so of the yard. I was really glad I- you were there. <laughs> You were doing minutes. I, I I logged him at 550 yards that, that he ended up walking back and forth. So, uh, wow, that was uh, – he, he got his steps in. Uh, uh, that's that's for sure. But, yeah, and, uh, and it just sort of seemed telling as to this is not a team that will uh, – how can I put this? This is just the vibe I get. You can correct me on this too, Rich, if I'm wrong. This doesn't seem like a team that is swift to punish or swift to – be like the penguin and blues brothers and, and smack the ruler down, you know, right. like it, it, this is a team that very much seems to be like, Hey man, what's wrong? Let's talk about it. And then maybe I'll give you a hug. You know, like it was, it's really, mm-hmm. um, I think very, a, a very building block way of working through issues. And that's, Obviously, I'm sitting up in the box. I'm only seeing this from afar, but that very much just seemed to be what was going on down on the field was, let's just talk about it. Let's talk through it. Um, let's just keep walking and, and blow off the steam you need to blow off. You know, obviously, if there's an altercation like that, players are going to be pretty angry. People who are involved in it would be pretty angry. What was interesting and I think valuable was that Sean McVay didn't react. Of course, he saw the dang thing unfold. He's down there in mid at midfield Everybody saw it, but nobody wanted to get into it. Nobody was going to even touch it because they were waiting until they could all meet as a team and talk through it together. And then Sean could have a conversation with Jalen, which he then did. And when he talked about the issue, he just said, hey, you know, it's it's all about talking through the issue at hand and then solving the problem and then moving forward. And there's a big difference. And I'm I'm not criticizing the way anything is being handled in any other club. I'm just noting there is a difference in uh, a coach coming out and saying, you know, he, my players told me this and this is what I believe based on what my players told me, which I think can be inferred as having your players back and that's all fine. But there is a difference in doing that and then doing what Sean McVay did and saying, we're not going to get into the he said, she said of the matter. We're handling it internally and moving forward. We, we're solving the problem and just moving forward and progressing. And and it just very it, it put put a, a sense of sort of finality on it. You know, I, I think that it's obviously it's a personal situation. It's none of our business. So to have it stay internal in that regard, I think not only follows the player's lead, but also provides that sort of support of the player of giving them that privacy and allowing them that privacy. Yeah, I think that's very well said. I I would just I would back you up, you know, with with a couple of years of context on on Sean. And I think that's kind of the culture that, that he's tried to establish. Um, I, I think he, you know, identifies his leadership group in the locker room and and puts a lot of trust in them uh, that they'll be able to handle things, whatever it might be. And this would be an example of that. And I would throw it back to, you know, a couple of years ago when 
the Rams started bringing in these big personalities. You know, they brought in Indomitian Sue, they brought in Aqib Talib, they brought in Marcus Peters, and everybody went. You know, you're just you're throwing a match in a in a in a fireworks depot here. You know, like here, this is going to be a big big problem, and it wasn't. It was never a problem that year. They went to the Super Bowl, and there were not problems in the locker room. And and why was that the case? In part because those guys were very professional, but also in part because there was that culture there that was in place in in that locker room with some of those leaders uh, who are still there today. And uh, they everybody just kind of accepts that that that's how things go. And uh, if things need to be handled, they're handled internally. You don't hear a lot of chatter. Uh, you you don't hear a lot of Rams players you know really flying off the handle, making comments in public that are very inflammatory. Mm-hmm. You don't hear Sean doing it ever. Um, so it's, it's very much, uh, kind of internalized and, and, you know, take care of your business inside uh, the facility and, and don't let it out. And uh, I think that's probably the way that this is going to be handled. Uh, and you know, whether or not the NFL hands out any discipline, I, I don't know. I really can't answer that question. Um, but, uh, I think from an internal standpoint, it's, it's very consistent with, with the way that Sean has tried to handle things since, uh, since he got hired. Yeah, Rich, it's it's good insight from you, obviously, from from watching how Sean does his business for so many years. That brings actually to mind another question I, I was thinking about as we were watching the game. Some of these guys being on the roster and then you, you know, obviously when you, you moved into your edit, editorial role and then now you're either getting insight from the stories of mine that you have to edit, God help you, but also... <laughs> On Twitter and then also on the broadcast. And I'm wondering, when you saw these guys in person, some of the guys who had been around, uh, Darius Williams comes to mind, obviously, yeah. first and mm-hmm. foremost. Some of the, but, but also some of these offensive linemen. Yes, Sunday was not their best game. We've covered how much extra inline help they needed. They, they just kind of got bullied a little bit. You know, Andrew Whitworth, again, whatever you feel about grades or whatever – um, and everybody's different. Andrew Whitworth was the highest graded offensive lineman, according to PFF, and he was still in the low 70s. So not a good day for the offensive line in general. I think even the eye test could tell you that. Just overall, who stood out to you in person and what was your sort of maybe recognition of them or their development or how they have progressed as, as players? Yeah, I mean Darius is a good one. Um, Troy Hill is another good one, and and it's not a, a surprise we've we've seen that. But but just to see where Troy came come from, and uh, you know there there was a point early on in his Rams tenure where he just couldn't hold it together. Like he would he would have a couple good games, and then there would just be one game where you just went, oh no, like what's going on here? And uh, he hasn't had one of those. I mean, I know things fluctuate. You're not perfect all the time, uh, but but to see him have that consistency now. That, that he didn't have before. Uh, that That's something that, that really jumped out to me. Um, it goes without saying, but Tyler Higby, I mean, this is a guy who I watched for three years, and you just looked at it and you go, this guy has everything you would want. I mean, he has the physical attributes. He, he looks like he can play the game, and there was just this disconnect between what what you saw and what you thought and what was happening on the field mm-hmm. and then to really see him put that all together and and become a complete uh, uh tight end uh, that's it's it's very impressive to me and whoever deserves the credit for that i know tyler deserves a lot of the credit himself uh but uh you know the coaching staff to to bring him along uh, a very good job and then yeah some of those young offensive linemen i mean you you look at austin blythe and you know, you, you don't hear the complaints about the, the center position anymore. And why not? Because, you know, if, if you're hearing about your center, that's a problem. Right. You don't want to be hearing <laughs> about your center. Um, so the, the fact that you, you don't hear his name a lot, that he's he's not getting himself in bad positions, things like that. Um, good for him. You know, a uh, guy who came in, you know, basically got cut by the Colts. The Rams picked him up off waivers. He was, you know, about as low as you can get at that point. Uh, you know, tried to find his his way, his natural position, and, and now seems to have found a home uh, there at center. So when pe- people like that, those are the ones who really kind of 
stand out to me. Uh, guys who have kind of been on a little bit of a journey uh, to find themselves, who, who were never the top guys, never the first round draft picks, uh, but guys who really had to find their way and uh, and find a role. And, and those are three who stand out for me. And, and by the way, Jordan, I know you know this, but so important to have those guys because when, when you have your high salaried players, you, you expect them to perform. But it's really those guys. It's the Troy Hills, the Darius Williams, the the Austin Blythes, those guys who, if they play at a high level, that's what really makes you a, a good team. And uh, if if the Rams can continue to get some of those efforts, then uh, then they're probably going to be in pretty good shape. The Jordan Fullers, yeah, amazing, a sixth round draft pick. It, the guys like that, where it's like it's you, you know your eyes are always drawn to the stars, right? Right. But it's it's those you look a little bit further down, and those are the guys who are going to make or break your season. It's usually not going to be the stars. Uh, unless they get hurt or they really just perform poorly, it's those it's those middle guys who are really going to to make the difference. Yeah, this is what I always like when we talk to Brandon Staley because he will always have a moment in his press conferences where we'll ask him a question and he'll start breaking something down and then he'll say something like, "But look closer," and then bring up somebody who's maybe further right. down on the roster, a Troy Hill you know, he will, he will say, but look closer and then kind of lay out why they were in the space that they were supposed to be in, in that moment. And coaches do that. And it's hard, I think, for us to do it, for fans to do it, because, you know, it's a, it's a cognitive bias that we're, you know, these are the superstar players. And so you're obviously looking to see how they affect the game, but On an NFL roster, and you know, I know we we talked about roster building and, and less need a while back with that piece on neuropsychology that I did, but all of the pieces matter. And you're seeing it, you know, in their linebacker play, for example, when Mike Kaiser goes down, you're seeing it if things aren't quite up to speed with their safety play, or or you have to deal with having somebody embedded at safety and then switching in game and sort of all of the very under the radar chaos that happens after that, you know, to nobody's fault, but just there's, there's just a a bridge you have to cross at that point. So, you know, it's also interesting to me. And I I loved what you said about those linemen because yes, they didn't have their best outing, but I think that this is a talent. This group has the, the potential to be talented. Austin Blythe, what a find really what a find because you, you just hear people like Jared Goff, Kevin O'Connell, Andrew Whitworth, talking about how savvy he is and has emerged this year at the line in calling checks and getting people aligned. You see, just watch them at some point because the hand gestures that he and Jared Goff have to use to communicate with each other with, I mean, it's down to a science and that's what you really want. It's not like that everywhere. And that's what you really want out of your, your center quarterback relationship is that rapport, that command of the situation, because the center is an extension of you. It's He's an extension of your brain and your eyes if you're the quarterback and vice versa. And then, you know, the ball snaps and chaos sets in and you just hope to God that someone's protecting you. So it's it's just really, really interesting to me. Austin Blythe, I think, such a find. Um, obviously, we know we think that Jordan Fuller was, was just a heck of a find by this coaching staff. And he will be back, by the way, uh, if you guys haven't checked it out on Twitter. Jordan Fuller and running back Cam Akers – parentheses, separated rib cartilage. Oh, God, I shudder every time. Uh, both of those guys will be back this week. Sean McVay confirmed that earlier. So that's that's going to be exciting. You're going to start to see more of the pieces get put together. And I think it's exciting in terms of what they might do for this running back by committee because we got a pretty good explanation of why they went more toward Malcolm Brown. But then what do you do when you factor another guy back into the mix? Yeah, it's, it's you know, you, you don't, you don't want to say that Cam Akers being out was a good thing because it wasn't, not not for anybody. But it kind of allowed them, I think, a little bit to see, okay, what if we put this guy in this situation, what's going to happen? Or what if we put, you know, it, it, I think it rather than trying to worry about maybe balancing things out or how it's going to affect the game or the game flow or whatever, I think they found 
found out maybe a little bit more about these other guys and said, okay, well, that, now, now we know. Now we know what, what situation maybe we can lean in to Malcolm Brown or what situation we can lean into Daryl Henderson. And then you can pick your spots with, with Cam Akers too. So uh, I, I think it's good. Uh, I, I think Cam Akers bringing, coming back brings them another uh, a dynamic. And and uh, we'll see. Uh, it's, it's going to be an interesting game uh, at, at Washington as the Rams uh, complete their tour of, of the NFC East. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Jordan, the thing that, that jumps out to me, look, if, if you can go uh, first five games, three East Coast road trips, and I know the competition isn't great when you're talking about, you know, basically the entire NFC East. But if you can make three road trips in your first five games and and end up four and one, which the Rams are going to be pretty heavily favored in this game, let's let's face it. To me, that's a best case scenario. I mean, you can say five and zero, oh, sure, that's that's the best case scenario. But if they could really come out of this four and one, uh, that is about as good as I would have expected if you would have asked me a month ago. Yeah, that would be. I mean, it's. It... There's nothing wrong with it. <laughs> I mean, right. you said it better than than I could. You know, I think I think it's great, especially with all of that travel, and then you factor in the the COVID precautions, and you factor in how they've they've kind of turned things on its head in terms of the body clock when they were originally planning to stay out east. And you know, no, other than the Bills, I don't think these teams are talented. But that means that you can't really lose the three that you need to win. So. Um, you know, and it's building up a really good little stretch for them. Again, if they don't play down to Washington sort of in the same manner that they did against New York and Ron Rivera is a defensive coach who really got under Sean McVay's skin, uh, Mm -hmm. in 2019. So, um, you know, that's going to be interesting, but also, you know, it's a really young roster out there. I think you're potentially setting up to go on a nice little run here before you start to resurge back into NFC West play with that Seattle game that's down the stretch. And as we see, you know, the Bucks aren't, you know, there's just some winnable right. games. <laughs> well, that's the thing, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you get to four right now. Let's, yeah. say, let's say you you beat Washington and you get to four. And I think we mentioned it last week. Start start doing the numbers. Start counting on your hand. You, you you maybe need to get to nine. Let's say you need to get to nine to to make the playoffs. Well, okay. What's what's left after you get to four? You've got Chicago there. You've got Miami there. You've got Tampa there. You've got the Jets there. Um, and that's not even including the NFC West. So it, you've you've got to pick off those games that that are winnable. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure Rams fans, some Rams fans would say, well, they should be five and zero. Oh. All all five of those are winnable. Oh, okay. Like I, I understand that, but that that's not you know you're not going to be perfect. Um, so I I just think Rams fans have to feel okay about that. If they were sitting at uh, certainly if they were sitting at, at you know with one win right now, I mean it would be a disaster. Or even if if they were just uh, two and two, you wouldn't feel very good, I don't think. Uh, but but three and one is good. But yeah, Jordan, you know you uh, I know you have you have quite a history, uh, you know, with with Ron and and you you know his teams very well. Um, different personnel, obviously, with, with what he has now. But anything come to your mind in in terms of you know what the Rams are going to be walking in here to, you know, just, just knowing the way that Ron likes to run his team, what he emphasizes, things like that. Is there anything that, uh, that kind of jumps out to you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, very, very aggressive defensive play calling, I think. And you can do that, especially with the front seven that they have. You've got some real veterans in the second tier and their linebacker corpse. And then you also have just a really promising young defensive line. I mean, we saw eight sacks against Philly. Um, you know, again, it, it, Philly's not a great team, but the Rams, conversely, were not able to get much pressure against Philly. So, you know, that that's really telling of of what you they can try to do to knock Jared Goff out of his rhythm. I think that, again, I think you'll see aggressive defensive play calling. Ron Rivera is is very, you know, he's a he's a CEO of of a team obviously, but he really trusts uh young Scott Turner there on the offensive side of the ball. So he's pretty hands-off when it comes to the offensive stuff and he's very much 
a guy who likes to give his offensive coordinator as much autonomy as possible. And so Scott Turner, there's no reason to believe that Scott Turner is not taking over most of those responsibilities with some input probably from Ron, but really the Scott Turner show on offense. And then on the defensive side of the ball, like I said, I just think really aggressive. I remember back in 2019, I asked Ron specifically, do you relish the chance to get to go against a really bright offensive mind as Sean McVay is? And he just got this big smile on his face and he just was like, these are the most fun games. I remember what I, I told you too, Rich, before is they opened that season with the Rams. They spent a lot of time in training camp setting up specific defensive packages to counter what Sean McVay does. Um, and, and specifically the, then the Panthers had never played any dime ever, like maybe two snaps in five years. And so they installed in the two weeks of training camp, they installed a, a dime package that they brought out on uh, clear passing situations. And um, it, it just kind of it, it rattled the cage a little bit. So I would not be surprised if he's got some tricks up his sleeve. You know, they, they do call him Riverboat Ron. They don't call him that for nothing. So, um, but, you know, this, this one for me is, is going to be really exciting to watch because you, you have somebody who is a bright defensive mind as Ron is going against, and he's sort of in his, his second act, right? And then he's going against Sean McVay, who in a way is also in his second act. And I I think Sean McVay is going to have like 50 acts. Right. But but in a way, you know, he's not that young, you know, you know, upstart sort of hotshot offensive coordinator, you know, turned wonderkind anymore. Yes, he is still very young and very bright, but but he's also evolved a little bit, a lot. Actually, he's evolved a lot. And some of the things that made the Rams a little bit easier of prey to particularly very defensive minded staff and, and coaches was the fact that, um, he has been spending so much of this time, um, you know, evolving and, and, you know, like we talk about how they're not so malleable to the six one anymore and things like that. So the other thing I want to point out, and I know I'm, again, I'm rambling, but it's exciting to think about Sean McDermott is directly like he's the main stem off of the Ron Rivera coaching tree at this point. So I would not be surprised if they are just pouring over that Buffalo Bills tape and trying to see how they can do similar types of things, especially with their front seven that the Bills were able to do. Yeah, well, what a what a game to watch, right? I mean, the first half film and the second half film going to look very different from from that one. But uh, that's a great point, Jordan. And yeah, this is it's an interesting game. I mean, the Rams open as nine point favorites, and I'm looking at that and I'm going, ooh, that's you know, I, I get it from a talent perspective, but. Uh, facing that Washington defense is is no joke, and I know that you look at it on paper, and uh, it, it looks like they got handled pretty well by by Baltimore. But I mean, Baltimore didn't light them up. Let's if if you look at it, I mean, they they were pretty efficient with with some of their scoring and some of their stats, but it, it wasn't like they were just uh, you know running rings around uh, around around Ron's team there. Um, so I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's going to be an interesting one. And, uh, like you said, Jordan, and maybe to tie it back all together, I, I think if you're a Rams fan, if you're looking for something to, uh, to be confident about is what we talked about earlier is, is they're, they're not just going to be static. They're not just going to try to roll out the same thing. And, and, uh, maybe with that kind of that arrogant attitude of like, well, we're going to run our stuff and, and you're going to have to stop us. Uh, I, I think they're, they're looking a little bit deeper now. And, and like you said, probably looking back at some of that past film to see, okay, how can we, how can we adjust? How can we be smarter with some of these things uh, uh, that we do? So uh, I'm looking forward to a good game. I'd still predict a, a Rams victory, but, uh, but, but I, I think it'll be a, a pretty well-played game. Yeah, I think the Rams are going to win. But again, it's one thing to go against, you know, a pretty, in some ways young, in other ways missing pieces, in other ways just not very good. Giants team that is coached by a first year head coach. It's it's one thing to do that and keep things simple and struggle a little bit and still pull through. Well, it's another thing entirely to go against a seasoned coach such as Ron Rivera, who, yes, has a very, very young football team and there are pieces missing. The quarterback, Dwayne Haskins, I think has potential but has been um, erratic 
since the season began, you know, but at the same time, it, it really is a very, very different scenario uh, from this Giants game. You know, I don't think that this one necessarily is going to be that perceived cakewalk. Uh, the Giants coming in, this was a perceived cakewalk and then turned out to not be. So I think there's that understanding within the roster and the and the locker room right now is it okay, let's not consider this one, this next one to be a cakewalk the way that we kind of fell prey to it last week. Yeah, very well said. Uh, maybe they can maybe they can play this clip in the locker room uh, b- before the game and uh, r- remind the Rams that that's the, the right way to approach it. But uh, <laughs> Jordan will, of course, have uh, great coverage throughout the week. And I know there's a, a big feature uh, coming that I, I think people are going to find uh, very interesting. So uh, make sure you go to The Athletic, the app, and the website. Um, always follow, follow along with Jordan on Twitter, at Jordan Rodrigue. We do uh, weekly mailbags, uh, so people who have questions that maybe we don't address here on the podcast, uh, definitely hit Jordan up, and uh, you can see your question get answered uh, in, in print. I, I know uh, I know you love answering those questions, Jordan. I do. It's, it's really, I, I usually knock them out throughout the course of a Thursday, and it's yeah. great because I'm at the facility, and so I can ask people who are in charge of making some of these decisions. I can actually ask them yeah. about the questions that I've been getting in the mailbag. So really, um, it's a very small degree of separation between the fan and the personnel, which I think is is really – I'm excited to be able to do that. I'm really, really stoked to be able to do that because, um, as you guys, I, I hope know by now, I really love the interaction um, from Rams fans who have been so gracious to welcome me in. And yeah, make sure also Rich Hammond was just at SoFi Stadium and runs the show. So make sure you follow him (laughs) on Twitter at Rich underscore Hammond. You know, guys, we are also on iTunes. Do not forget to leave us a five star. Yes, I am biased, but a five star rating. Leave us a review. We read everything. We love hearing from you guys. I get tickled to death by our comment section because it's some really fun, fun comments in there. Um, Shout out to... AJ, the person who caught my 30 Rock reference in my last column. If you guys are still with us at this point, see if you can find us. Um, Thank you guys so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to The Athletic. It's a dollar a month right now. That's fantastic because, Rich, what do I love? You love a great discount. Absolutely. Um, And and I, I love being able to record these with you. And we will see you guys next week. Thanks again for joining us.